News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Well, welcome to the Luke Messias Show, guys. Uh, today I'm coming to you with our midweek episode. I want to focus in on a story that hit my desk earlier this week. It's actually uh, published at The American Mind. For those of you who don't read The American Mind, you should. They have some excellent pieces that get written. And whenever they have a piece that mentions Texas, that is something I absolutely have to read because you have a national publication that focuses in on Texas at any time. And, and this piece is by Scott Yenner, who's going to join us today. And the title is How Texas this A&M went woke. And this is something that I've talked about for a long time. But one of my frustrations with the Texas legislature is that we keep funding people who hate us. We keep giving more money to people. We are basically rewarding bad behavior. These universities are filled with individuals who have further indoctrinated the students of Texas, okay? And just for those of you who who kind of think maybe, and we'll get into this a little bit during our discussion, but maybe a and a little different. And remember, my mom and dad, Texas Aggies, I bleed maroon, okay? If somebody tells me they're a Longhorn, I know they're further away from the Lord than I am. And, and so these are things that you inherently know if you're an Aggie. Um, but just so you understand, this last election cycle on Texas A&M University's campus, and this is the voting precinct that is just Texas A&M University. So these are students. These are not people that live around the university. These are people on the university Registered at the university, 2,000 people voted, 2,000 students voted in the gubernatorial election, and 72% of them voted for Beto O'Rourke, somebody who has radical left ideas. So for those of you who are Aggies and you're going, well, A&M, we're a lot better than, uh, you know, some of those other more radical universities. You should just know we really aren't much better. In fact, Texas Tech University is one of the few that Abbott actually won. And so when you break it down and look at some of these universities, you have to understand that Texas A&M University is almost as bad as the University of Texas at El Paso, guys, in an 80% blue county. So let's just accept reality right now that A&M has not been going in the right direction. And that's why I've asked Scott Yenner to come on because I think his piece does a great job. You have a bunch of, uh, filed bills in the legislature right now who are, which are going after DEI initiatives. And this is critical theory-based, critical race theory-based, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. But guys, this didn't show up two years ago. Some of us think that it came around two years ago, but the truth is that it's been around for a while. Indoctrination's been happening. And I think Scott Yenner did a great job not only revealing it, but he clearly knows this issue even better than myself. So I've asked him to join. And with that, we're going to bring on Scott. Hello, Luke. Thanks well, Mr. Yenner. Yeah, Mr. Yenner, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for coming. Uh, I really enjoyed your piece. I'm glad that um, I, it popped up on, on Twitter, I think is where I saw it first and immediately downloaded it, printed it. Whenever there's a longer piece, I always print them and I actually want to read them uh, and, and just, you know, highlight different sections and stuff. So I really appreciate the work that you've done. Why don't you, for our listeners who haven't read this piece, break down the highlights of what it is that you revealed in your piece for the American Mind. Yeah, I mean, Texas A&M has this reputation uh, as being one of the more conservative uh, public universities. I know a generation ago when someone asked me where I would send my kids to school, I said, if public university, the best public university in the country is Texas A&M. And mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, you know, I've been interested in the DEI takeover of higher education. I've done some studies in different uh, states, Idaho first and North Carolina, Tennessee and Maine. And uh, I decided to look at Texas uh, and what was going on there. And I took a deep dive on Texas A&M. And the interesting thing about these universities is that they advertise what they're doing. That is, they have a plan, they're proud of the plan, and then they go about trying to execute the plan. And Texas A&M announced a very radical diversity plan in 2010 and has been executing it like on steroids the last two years, but slowly and steadily before uh, 2020. Um, they've been just building up what you can only call a DEI empire. Uh, they've changed the curriculum, watered it down, in, uh, taken out aspects of the curriculum that used to be about learning American government, American history, and they've added like cultural competency uh, instead. And they, uh, you know, so I think it's pretty easy for students to get out of Texas A&M without really knowing anything about American history or American government, uh, though there are required courses. Um, their hiring plans have been, uh, uh, you know, designed to achieve what they call equity, which is equal racial outcomes. They will not rest until the demographics of Texas A&M look exactly like the Texas demographics itself, until there are 13% of the student population, student faculty or faculty population is, uh, is black, uh, their equity programs will continue. And uh, they become increasingly radical, increasingly more like racial preferences over the course of time um, in both, uh, you know, student admissions and faculty hiring. Um, and, you know, after 2020, they, you know, they, they did a diversity plan after the riots of 2020. Uh, there were attempts to take down statues and and, you know, uh, other, other ways of affecting the campus climate symbolically. But the more important thing is that there's been a real, um, real ratcheting up of their understanding of what they have to do. The 2020 diversity plan uh, really concerns you know, breaking down the systems of oppression in words like merit, hiring the best person, and things like mm. that. And so, you know, there's a lullaby that people sing about Texas A&M and about their universities, that our universities are different, that our universities mean by diversity, like people coming from different parts of the country or whatever, like the lullaby that they sing at the legislature when they're talking about DEI is just that, a lullaby. The, mm. uh, the DEI that Texas A&M is practicing is really no different in principle and really no different in scope than the Texas Austin um, uh, version of DEI. I mean, there, I think there are some differences and I'd be happy to talk about them and I don't want to overstate that case, but I can make the case just with these simple words. There are more DEI personnel at Texas A&M than there are at UT Austin. Full mm. stop. Mm. So, Scott, I want to hone in on on what you said about merit because I, for for a lot of Texans out there, I mean, they are consuming everything, all this information on a regular basis. But if you turn on Fox News, if you turn on your average radio show and you listen, you don't really fully get a breakdown of what DEI means. Okay, and so and then critical race theory, I feel like, is maybe becoming more 
a more common tongue phrase that um, maybe is a little bit more understood by the average uh, Texan. And so when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion programs, what, what you're saying is, look, in t- this didn't happen overnight. In 2010, they loudly and proudly said, we have a DEI plan. We are going to implement the plan. And then for the last tw- you know, 12 years, they have gone about 13 years, they've gone about systematically implementing that program. I want to hone in on what you said about merit. So there is a belief that if your university is hiring based on merit, that is potentially a bad thing If it, by these DEI officials. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, here's what they say in the 2020 State of Diversity Report. There are problematic trends that are attributable to institutional practices, policies, and mindsets that persistently disadvantage black students and sustain inequalities. Among the systematic racist and discriminatory practices that need to be dismantled are, quote, innocuous sounding words and sentiments like meritocracy, legacy, colorblind, race neutral, best qualified, good fit, and isolated incident. So anyone who uses any of those words in hiring is the product of a systematically racist system. So you might think of it like this, uh, and this is true at A&M. It might be hard to swallow, but it's true at A&M that diversity is the new merit. And Mm. uh, I put up a Twitter uh, video that has been leaked to me from the faculty senate deliberations um, today. And... uh, in the faculty deliberations, they were talking about how to get around Governor Abbott's ban on DEI statements for hiring. Hmm. And they basically said the, uh, the, the vice president or vice provost for diversity, Annie McGowan, said that we're just going to turn their whole application into a DEI statement. So that <laughs> if, they, if they do the work of diversity, as she says in the deliberations – then we'll, hi- we'll see it in their research and in their teaching statements. So mm-hmm. we don't need these stinking DEI statements. We'll just turn the whole thing into a DEI statement. Diversity mm-hmm. is the new merit. And, uh, and you know, that's how Texas A&M's offic- administration is officially uh, taking on their jobs. Uh, I want to remind it in my report. <laughs> I uh, I want to remind our listeners about a, a story that happened. I guess at this point we're talking almost a year ago, but a year ago, uh, y'all know that I was supportive of the Don Huffines campaign against Greg Abbott, and his campaign revealed um, revealed these whistleblower. Uh, let's say it was a it was an annual training that. Child Protective Service employees were required to do, right? So they're required to do this training. And in this training are all of these diversity, equity, and inclusion principles. And then at the end, you had to answer these questions on a scale of very much agree with this position or very much disagree. Okay. And essentially, if if you weren't fully diversity, equity, and inclusion indoctrinated by the end of this program, and you filled out this 10-question survey incorrectly, well, I disagree with that statement, then you had this rubric and the employee was informed that they had an unhealthy body, mind, soul, and spirit. So they had these four different, you know, factors. And they're like, oh, it didn't take, right? The, the training didn't take, and you as a child protective services, social welfare worker, 
have a poor and unhealthy mind, body, and spirit because you did not understand diversity, equity, inclusion appropriately. And when this was revealed, uh, thankfully, uh, in the middle of a campaign cycle, a lot of politicians tend to act more a little bit during campaign cycles. Uh, this curriculum was very quickly taken away, right? But this is the sad reality of where we're at and why I'm grateful that Scott wrote what he wrote. For those of you who, who don't know who Scott is, this guy is the senior director of state coalitions at the Claremont Institute. And if you're not familiar with Claremont Institute, just Google them, read a couple New York Times pieces. They're very entertaining. And you'll further understand the right-wing conspiracy that Scott finds himself in. But Scott did a fantastic job breaking down, hey guys, this is happening in your backyard. It's happening in one of the universities that everyone would say is one of the most conservative state universities in America. And Scott, I want to hone in on something you said too. You said Texas A&M University, they've got more DEI employees than the University of Texas at Austin. Yes, that's uh, according, that to a her, according to a Heritage uh, Foundation uh, audit of all the DEI officers at the big five uh, sports conference schools. So there must be about yep. uh, 70 or so schools in there. And uh, yeah, there was, I think it was 46 to 45. It's a close game. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But uh, it's, it's one. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're competing. Uh, UT might have gone and hired a couple after they read this report. Darn it. We're way too low. We didn't realize there was so much money going to this uh, this leftist virtuous activity that they they see. Okay. Um, I want to remind everybody that, remember that the Texas Senate has a very conservative higher education committee chaired by Brandon Creighton and the Texas House. Unfortunately, when we look at the breakdown, it is probably one of the more liberal committees in the legislature, which may be the reason that Greg Abbott sent this letter to universities because there is policy that has been written that expressly prohibits these type of programs from being in state universities. Carl Tepper has a bill. I know there are a number of other uh, bills that have been filed this session, and we will be keeping our listeners up to date with where those are in the process. And honestly, Scott's reporting on this, Scott's writing on this, is a is going to be a kick in the pants to the legislature to take action. And in fact, you say that in your piece, Scott, I'll get there in just a second. But Abbott sent a letter because I want to explain to everybody what that was. Abbott's chief of staff sent a letter to universities basically saying it is our interpretation that it is already illegal to have these DEI practices. Okay. Now, sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. Sometimes that's a way of kind of giving the legislature a pass on not passing a bill. Okay, so they go, hey, we don't need a bill. It's already illegal. And so then the legislature goes, okay, well, we don't have to pass any legislation that, you know, defunds these programs then. Um, but I would say on the other positive side, the helpful side of this is that it forces the hand of these universities now. And so you're saying that at A&M specifically, I wanted to make sure I got that right. At A&M specifically is where you got a video of the faculty talking about the fact that, hey, we got this letter from the governor. He says these DEI programs are illegal. That's fine. We can just basically put DEI in the application without expressly calling it DEI, but they'll have to give us enough information for us to know whether or not they're DEI or not. Is that correct? Yes. Um so, so let's put two things on the table here that the legislature, I think, is thinking about. Um, on the one hand, we have this uh, gubernatorial order saying the DEI statements, that is where you're supposed to kind of have an ideological pledge of allegiance to the uh, mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion ideology, uh, cannot be used in hiring. That's one thing. 
Another thing that I know the Texas legislature is going to consider is uh, banning, or I should say defunding, all of the DEI offices on all of Texas schools. Florida has already mm-hmm. done this, and I know that uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation and, uh, and people in the legislature are interested in pushing such a thing. And, mm-hmm. and I do think the second thing is way more important than the first thing. I think mm. what the what the video that I have up on my Twitter account reveals is that uh, de- banning DEI statements in hiring is easily gotten around by people who want to get around it. Whereas defunding the offices and salting the earth, that is firing the people who were associated with these offices if they don't have any place to retreat to with tenure in the university – is actually a way to change and leverage um, uh, you know, new kinds of personnel on these universities who don't want to get away or work around the governor's orders. Mm. And there, it's really true that personnel is policy on universities um, and putting people in positions with, uh, who do not hold the DEI ideology sacred is the most crucial thing that can be done. And there I would give the Texas uh, boards of regents a very bad grade. Um, Mm. Whereas when you compare it with Florida, Florida's been very strategic in who they've hired. They've generally not just promoted educrats and diversocrats through the system and put them in charge of universities. They've brought in people from outside university systems who run them more Um, I would say objectively, more like a business, as they might say, trying to keep costs low and such and not building these uh, DEI empires within the universities. So so a lot of things that legislatures are interested in doing are fake reforms. And I think DEI statements is a species of a, I'll say, an incomplete and not totally real reform because it's Mm. easy to get around them. That's what the video will show. And... The crucial thing is going after the personnel uh, hmm. who are really implementing these things. I would like to see the personnel like stigmatized, fired, defunded. And uh, if I were to put my energy into one kind of reform, that would be the, the reform. I think it's interesting what, what you just said. So first of all, to give all, all of our listeners some context, the regents at a university are all appointed by the governor, okay? And you can think of these people as the school board of the university. So when you go elect your local school board, NEISD, Northwest Coppell, Carroll, whatever you're doing, you elect school board members, you get four good school board members, they can fire the superintendent, they can change the policies, and they can implement better things. In fact, we're seeing that happen right now in Texas. We have seen parents take control of their local school boards and flip entire school districts, and all of a sudden that school district is doing a lot more good things, okay? Here's the sad thing. These universities have been enacting these programs since 2010, okay? Every single regent at the University of A&M and University of Texas and all these were either appointed by Governor Rick Perry or Governor Greg Abbott, okay? They were confirmed by a Republican Senate, and... The truth is that for a very long time, the type of people that have been put into these positions of regents, I would say particularly since Greg Abbott took over, have been based on political connections, how much money they raised for the university, how supportive they were. And these people largely acted as cheerleaders. 
of an institution. And so we've seen that. We've seen regents, they spend a lot of time at football games. They go to all the boxes. They talk about how amazing the university is. They talk about why everyone should give more money to all of the different funds. They go raise all the money. They praise the chancellor for doing everything he's done and the president. There was a time, in fact, when I got into politics in 2008, 2009, we had Wallace Hall, who was this example at the University of Texas, who stood up and said, hey, I'm a regent. I'm concerned that we literally have certain people that are getting admitted to our public university that shouldn't get admitted based on their political connections. And uh, guess what happened? He was completely railroaded and kicked out. They found out that, yes, indeed, there was a special group of people that were able to get access to the University of Texas, a public university, through their connections, be their politicians that they knew or were related to, or people who had given a lot of money to the university. And this was just the tip of the spear. This was Wallace Hall just starting to peel back the University of Texas saying, hey, I've got a lot of other concerns and a lot of other aspects of this university. And then, of course, the next four years later, he and every regent that is with him are not reappointed and reappointed in their stead at the University of Texas are people who largely acted as have acted as cheerleaders since then, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2012. So understand that regents have not been told that, hey, part of your responsibility from the state of Texas, what we expect from you is that you would stop these programs. But Republicans are in control of the entire system. All of your tax dollars that are flowing to these universities, it's Republican regents, Republican Senate confirmed, Republican governor appointed. And I think what Scott has done a good job of saying is that reminding us, yes, the legislature can pass a bill. And yes, the governor can send a letter. And yes, the attorney general might be able to get involved in some form or fashion on the legal entity, but these universities are run by regents who are appointed entirely by a Republican and they can do whatever they want. So Scott, give me an example of, you said Florida, I know we've seen a couple different examples across the country, but where are some examples where they seem to be taking this a little more seriously and Texas could use that as an example to follow? Well, I'm not positive that there are many other bright, shining examples other than Florida. (laughs) Um, I haven't looked at all of the- By the way, that statement has been made quite a few times on a lot of different podcasts regarding state policy. I haven't looked at every university system in depth uh, to say that with uh, the assurance that I would need to. Um, but I would say that really over the last two administrations, at least in Florida, and maybe even going back to the end of the Jeb Bush administration, they put like very much bean counters in charge of the uh, University of Florida system. What I mean by that mm-hmm. is they've made goals of keeping tuition down and therefore controlling costs on the universities. They've put old politicians in charge of the universities, uh, especially the most prestigious ones, um, just like used to be done. Dwight Eisenhower ended his career as the university Mm -hmm. president of Columbia. And uh, and they are sensitive to the demands of the political institutions of Florida. Um, Now, they haven't been perfect and they haven't like in a principled way said no DEI. Um, But they also haven't overreacted. Like, unlike most of the boards of regents around the country, they didn't react at all to George Floyd's death. It's like, what does that have to do with the university? And they Mm -hmm. didn't even keel. They didn't adopt radical plans like happened in a lot of places. And uh, and now the board, uh, so, so the people have been aligned with the goals of the political establishment in Florida. And the goals of the political establishment in Florida have been reformist. 
have been skeptical of kind of where the the drift of the modern regime is going. So since they're uh, receptive and since the governors have been, I think, very prudent in recognizing the uh, threats that wokedom poses to healthy institutions, um, they just haven't allowed it to be built as much. And it's actually easier to tear it down in Florida because it's not as big. I think it would be a big job to take on the DEI administration in Texas at UT and at Texas A&M. They are built up as much as they are in most places. I mean, mm. significant. And Scott, just stopping them from growing bigger would take political will. And uh, mm. I think what you see in Texas is uh, they don't want to be bothered by this, uh, either because mm. it's too big of a job or because they approve it. And until the legislators start putting people uh, and the executives start putting people into place who care about this issue, there's nothing you can really do to uh, mm. to to rein it in. Uh, Scott, I know you're just starting to scratch the surface on some of the other universities. So no, let's not just pick on Texas A&M for my for my parents' sake. Let's not just pick on Texas A&M. Okay, I don't. I mean, I, I want to be still welcome um, at at Thanksgiving and stuff. And so um, I don't. I don't want to just. Um, you know, poo-poo all over like the best university in Texas. And so let's look at the other universities in Texas. Tell us what are some of the things you're seeing at other Texas universities as you start to look at them? Yeah, um, I would put the Texas universities into three categories. Um, the most woke, the medium woke, and the least woke. We'll call, we'll call those the, the categories at least. Okay. And, um, and the most woke universities have like a, a well-paid administrator in charge of promoting DEI at the university level. Uh, University of North Texas, we'll just use an example of that. Um, It has a special DEI plan for the university, check. It has a university-wide administrator for uh, promoting that plan, check. Um, Nine of the 11 colleges at University of North Texas have a DEI plan themselves or have a uh, significant presence of DEI in their plan. And like, what's going on there is they're just hiring college level DEI administrators to implement the college plans. And so, whereas at Texas and Texas A&M, there are university plans, university administrators, college plans, and college administrators in just about every college. Um, you know, like University of Houston, University of North Texas, Texas Tech, they have the University plan, university administrators, college plans, and they're just hiring college administrators. Like that's the most woke group. Um, mm. It's uh, but and when you look down the list, I mean, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, when you look at like the next level of universities, uh, places like Tarleton State and Sam Houston State, they have different university plans. They mm. have. University administrators. Almost all of the schools in Texas have a university administrator. I think it's 31 out of 36 have a university administrator designated to promote DEI. The difference is it doesn't make its way down to the college level at the next, you know, at at most of the universities, uh, other universities in Texas, or at least not as much. So there are fewer college level DEI people at the other ones, but they are everywhere. They are everywhere Mm. in the Texas system. Um, I mean, uh, it's it's a very remarkable thing. Here's here's the stats on it. 
35 of the 37 Texas universities have a DEI plan or have DEI in their strategic plans. 26 Mm. of the 37 Texas universities that I study have a university-wide administrator that is dedicated to promoting DEI. Like, that's Mm. a lot. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. And and there's also this kind of instability that's interesting uh, in the personnel. So, the personnel who are promoting DEI don't stay at one university long because more and more universities are building up the systems so that uh, a person who's running a college DEI uh, office gets promoted to running a university-wide DEI office. People who are kind of running women's centers get promoted to college DEI officers. So they don't stay in their position because their influence continues to spread and kind of percolate up. And uh, don't be naive. This is happening hmm. almost everywhere in Texas universities. Yeah. Scott, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am um, for the piece you wrote, for the research you've been doing, for all the efforts you've been putting into this uh, as a Texan. Um, you know, we appreciate it when non-Texans uh, are able to do research and bring it to our state so that we can do something with that now responsibility that we have. The information that we have is it now puts us in a position where we can't not take action on this stuff. And so really grateful. Uh, close us out with this. Tell our listeners a little bit about at what point did you know this was the kind of stuff that you were going to spend some of your time doing? What motivated you to start this type of research? What motivated you to get engaged in this way? Um, Yeah, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, well, in 2015-16, I had worked for the Heritage Foundation. I was writing a book on family life, and I wrote an article on the ways in which transgender ideology would threaten parental rights. And, uh, and, you know, it seemed like it wasn't uncontroversial. It was kind of ahead of the curve, but, you know, it seemed it was a logical argument and it ended up being totally borne out uh, by our experience. But regardless, uh, I came back uh, to campus after doing this and there was just lots of protests and like I had faculty senate issues and an attempted cancellation. It was my first. I've had more than one. And, and I'm like, well, why is this happening? And uh, so I just started digging around and I found reports and personnel and new policies that have been adopted while I was on sabbatical. And I said, well, someone should know about this. And uh, and the university president sent out an email to all the faculty uh, with the tenor of like, we're just getting started. (laughs) So I took that information um, and gave it to some friends, organized it, and they took it to the legislature. And suddenly I became kind of a go-to guy, like, well, what's going on at this university here in in Idaho? And we wrote some reports, um, one on Boise State University, one on the University of Idaho, just using their own words and what was going on Mm. on campus and uh, and just trying to, you know, uh, give an account of what was happening. And then other people found it and they said, hey, would you do that for Tennessee? Would you do that for North Carolina? Would you do that for Maine? And uh, would you do that for University of San Diego? So I've done it for a bunch of places. And, uh, and I've kind of learned what to look for. And, uh, and you know, I, uh, so I got into it in a way just out of individual curiosity. Um, mm. It was a phenomenon that I just wasn't really, like, didn't know was going to go on. And I wanted to know what the institutional and policy structures uh, that gave rise to it. 
the report that Boise State put out was this really radical thing about transforming the university so we can transform the state. And uh, and so very few people are as bold as Boise State was uh, in announcing their political ambitions uh, to transform the state. But the same things are happening all over the place. And um, and so my hope is that uh, people can become woke to the threat and yeah. uh, and then, you know, be be empowered to act uh, with the confidence that they're acting on the basis of a real threat that is really overtaking even our most prestigious and beloved universities. So I think that is a phenomenal way to close us out. I'm going to remind each and every one of you that um, currently in the legislature, and you you know that I think Dan Patrick is way more conservative than our Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, and I think that... Um, but this is not an issue exclusive to just the Texas House. This is the Texas Senate. This is the Texas House. This is the governor. You have to understand there is currently a plan to send billions of dollars in addition to what we have sent in the past to universities this session, okay? So what universities have gotten, which is billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars, they are going to give them more money. They are creating more university funds. They are going, so understand that I think what Scott said at the end is probably one of the uh, most important things to remember, which is that they do believe that if they transform their university, they will transform our state. And by the way, the left thinks this way. It's why they have fought so hard on K through 12 institutions. It's why they have fought very hard in the university institutions. They know that if you do transform these institutions, you can over time transform a state. And if we recognize that as a threat, we are going to think differently about how we approach university systems. And so our hope is that Texas does begin to approach them differently. And I think the work that Scott has done is really helpful in giving us a mindset shift that is needed to understand the threat of our day. So Scott, thank you for your writing. Thank you for coming on today. And thank you for really detailing for us a lot of what's going on in the Texas university systems. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. God bless you, sir. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.